Today, a two weeks left of this Vasa. So the time goes by, the still point, there's no time. But uh, when, you, when you're caught up in the conditioned world as reality, then time flies. And so there's only three months left of this of uh, the year 2000. And uh, so the, remember it seemed to, remember coming to Amaravati in 1984, looking, thinking, you know, it's a long time to 1999. When I was 30, I had I thought it'd be a long time to sixty. Now it seems like a long time to ninety. <laughs> I'm not a kind of person who wants to live a long time. So I, you know, I have no desire to live uh, to ninety at all, but. Uh, but I, then I realized that that's another condition of my mind, isn't it? Not wanting to live to 90 is also the same as wanting to live to 90. So learning to, you know, not to believe any of these kind of uh, perceptions that arise, you know, the hanging on to life or you want to just get it over quickly, both are, you know, come from the conditioning of the mind rather than from the unconditioned. So this is it's uh, this uh, opportunity we have here at Amravati now to uh, to keep practicing and, and uh, cultivating, developing. The teachings are very simple and very clear, but it's a matter of, of um, putting them into practice, of, you know, really using them in, the, in daily life. And re reading this book about Tibet and the Chinese uh, uh, gulags in Tibet, where they incarcerate all these, these people in... And Tibetan monks, they disrobe them and, 
and put them in these uh, labor camps, slave labor camps, and and the uh, uh, some of the monks, you know, the the ones that are really into practice, doesn't matter. And they question them with, about, you know, the Chinese and the miserable life they have to live there to do hard labor and they're kind of not fed properly and so forth and and they and they the answer that some of these monks have is uh, it's a wonderful occasion to be to have your faith tested <laughs> and so they're great grateful for the chinese for testing their faith <laughs> That's a state of mind that only comes through, through not ident through non-identity, isn't it? With the, with the conditioned realm, because if you, if you find that inner strength, that stillness within, and to cultivate it, then, then um, doesn't matter what happens. You know, it's not, and even adversity, torture, humiliation. Um, all these are testiness rather than, say, terrible things that happen to us. Now this is a, you know, a, this comes from the wisdom that we're quite capable of having if we, if we cultivate this way. It takes a determination to do it because sometimes you don't feel like doing it. And and uh, the world can be rather tantalizing, and and you know, there's a lot in the world that one uh, still is, finds fascinating and interesting. But it's not kind of giving up the world as a as a position either, but learning to to trust more and more in awareness, because then we tend to think we've got to give up, we've got to. We've got to really make ourselves practice. We've got to uh, not give in to temptation and make every moment count. Then it becomes another, we're creating another scenario uh, that we attach to. You know, we create you know, this idea, I'm somebody who's got to practice. Um, and I've got to let go of the world. Where if you trust in the, in just the moment, if that's what's going on in your mind, to be aware of that is a condition of the mind rather than a position you take and hold to. So whatever, you know, whatever your doubts or your, your uh, attachments are to, to the world, to Buddhism, to positions, to your own views and opinions, uh, the, the liberation is always now in seeing that it is only that. You know, it is a, a viewpoint or a position. It's an attitude. It's, a, it's an opinion. It's a feeling. It's a doubt. Seeing the the you know the the just say the the sequence of Dhanasila Pawana, where you know the they use this as a in terms of developing 
from generosity, which is dana, and sila, morality, and then pavana, meditation. Well, then the, the conditioned mind gets very attached to this as a kind of, it becomes linear, doesn't it? It's, it's uh, dana first, and sila, then pavana. And uh, so then we think of, we have to develop dana in order to develop sila, in order to, uh, on the logic that we, we assume from, from uh, logically uh, holding to those, to, the, to that sequence. Then, uh, then there's been someone, a, a Sri Lankan woman, who's been, uh, I think she's gone back to Sri Lanka, but she's been going around telling everybody that they don't need Dana or Sila, just Pawana. <laughs> so then that, so then that throws everybody off. They think, uh, you know, well, we've been wasting, you know, we've been wasting all this Dana. <laughs> and, uh, we don't have to give dawn anymore, and seal is not necessary. Uh, we can drink our wine and not feel guilty about it. And then <laughs> all we have to do is practice. Well, that's the logic that comes from thinking it's only pavana, and you don't need the rest. And then there's the old hard line, if you can't have pavana unless you've got sila, you've got to have morality, you can't practice, then that gets into a kind of righteousness, you know, a kind of moral positioning. But what you can know is right now this is what you're feeling or thinking. You know, if you're feeling threatened by somebody who says you don't need to give Donna or keep Sila and you feel angry or upset or, or, uh, or you're interested or whatever, that's a that's a mental condition that that you can be aware of, and the awareness is 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 not is not a condition. So your refuge is in awareness rather than taking sides on any issue. There's the, you know, the one about you don't need to become a monk or a nun. You can do it as a lay person. Uh, and then there's the attitudes now where even being a monk or a nun is getting in the way because you get attached to rules and tradition and it, and it just becomes, gets in your way. So this is, these are, the, you know, the, not that these are even wrong, but they are views and opinions. Know that that the, the the pointing is at is is at the as is encouraging us to wake up and observe the way it is rather than to formulate an opinion about how it is or what it should be. So that takes a different uh, that that uh, means that we can't trust just uh, the way the can the way we tend to think or or our emotional habits, because they, you know, if you're brought up to, in a very traditional Buddhist style, then your mind is, is primed for seeing things in that, in that way. You know, you've got a, your conditioned mind, your emotional habits are, 
are generated from those, those kind of attitudes. It's like pointing your feet at the Buddha Rupa, isn't it? In Thailand, for example, you should never point your feet at the Buddha Rupa. And that is, that's really, you know, if anybody points their feet, then that is really, there's something in you that goes, ooh, you know, and you really feel distressed by it. Even I do now. I've become so, so, uh, you know, I've been, been a monk for so long <laughs> that when I see somebody, you know, sitting here pointing their feet at the Buddha Rupa, I go, ooh, I've got a, the same kind of emotional reaction. Well, some people get very upset and they, and they really get angry and outraged. One Burmese man told me he got so angry when the British used to go in the Shwedagron with their shoes, he wanted to kill all the British. Thought, Didn't you think that a bit kind of paradoxical? You know, Shwedagron's a peaceful place. And he <laughs> where you're supposed to keep the precept like Bana Dibata. All you want to do is murder the British because they've got their shoes on. And you think, there's, a <laughs> there's something wrong with this. <laughs> but this is, uh, this is how it happens. If you're just a creature of conditioning, isn't it? Then you, that's how you think and that's how your emotions are, 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 are developed around those perceptions. And before I became a monk, if somebody pointed their feet at a Buddha, it wouldn't bother me in the least. It wouldn't, you know, one didn't see it as any kind of contemptuous act because when Westerners do that, they're not doing it in a contemptuous way. It's not like it's a, it's a nasty kind of rejection or sign of contempt toward the Buddha. It's just uh, they, their legs are tired and they're stretching them out. <laughs> Where if a Thai did it, probably, you know, it would, you know, Thai, Thai people are no better, actually. So they, you know, if they did it, that would probably be a sign of contempt in some way. Well, this is cultural conditioning. The... Um, in terms of dana sila bhavana. These are things to, you know, like, like one can come from, you don't need dana sila, just practice, just mindfulness is enough. Which is one of those true but not right, right but not true statements. You know, if you're mindful and use wisdom, then that's, that's, all, that's all that's necessary. But that's... Um, but then most people don't have, aren't that way, you know, they, they're still primed in these other ways. They're still programmed and conditioned to think and feel and act and come from all kinds of attitudes and prejudices and, and opinions. So it's, uh, you know, if, like for example, being a Buddhist monk, a bhikkhu, you know, being aware being using sati and panya in the present means also that I'm aware of the of the tradition 
you know, that on a conventional level I'm a Buddhist monk. It's, an, it's not like my awareness uh, is such that it doesn't matter anymore whether I'm a Buddhist monk or not. It includes it. So, so within the, 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 the conditioned realm, I, I'm willing to live within the restraint and within the, within the style of a, of a Buddhist monk. Because that's, that's, the, that's part of the satipanya of, of it. You know, it's, the taking, it's not a rejection of convention. And, and uh, think I no longer need to be a Buddhist monk anymore. I'm, I'm so mindful now and so wise that I can just, uh, you know, get rid of these, show that you, I'm, so that everybody, I'm not attached to any of these conventions. I'll just take off my robes right now, just strip, do a strip tease kind of thing. I'm beyond shame too, you know. So <laughs> And just see how many of you could stay. Many of you could stay in the still point while I'm doing all this. <laughs> but that would probably, if, you know, if that is that was something I was doing, it would be coming from a from an opinion again, because that's not the appropriate behavior for this. See, <laughs> you know, so that it's just knowing what is. Like if, if suddenly that my robes caught on fire, you know, I start t- stripping them off because, <laughs> even though it would be against the vinaya maybe to, to be naked in front of the group, yet that seems to be the right thing to do when, when your robes are on fire. <laughs> Uh, because of satipanya and the conditions then <laughs> so this is you know this the the idea of of uh dana sila pawana like in terms of uh, in in the, in the buddhist teachings there, there's right worldly view in fact so just learning to be generous does create happiness in the world, isn't it? You, you feel a lot happier even if you're not interested in, in bhavana or transcending or reaching or realizing nibbana or in anything other than maybe living a better life uh, as a citizen in the, in the community. So generosity certainly is, is something to cultivate if you just want to live happier life in the, with your family in the in the society. And sila, uh, you know, if you even if you have no interest in in anything transcendent or or uh, spiritual, sila also has brings you know a sense of uh, self-respect to you. In, as a as a person, as a personality in a society, as a member of this of the, of, of this society. <coughs> like I find just like five sila is uh, if if one just keeps the five sila, well that's a way of of developing self-respect because it is, you know, it's, it's an admirable way to 
to, to, do, to live, to take responsibility for what you do and say in the, in the world. To, to move towards, say, nonviolence and uh, honesty and respect for the environment and, and uh, being uh, responsible uh, for sexual activities rather than just promiscuous and hedonistic. Or refraining from moving into into uh, areas of that are dangerous that, that create addictions and where you lose your self-respect by drinking too much or getting hooked on drugs because you people you know, tr tremendous drug problems of of our society now people lost all self-respect they just they they uh, they become addicted they they have that's all they think about, satisfying their addictions. And so the sense of yourself as, a, as an honorable person in a society is, is lost in that way. So like being irresponsible and just hedonistic, self-centered, narcissistic, um, not not respecting the world around you, just doing what you feel like, regardless of how it affects anyone else or the planet that you live on, and and uh, just uh, you know living your life just solely for for following impulses and feelings of the moment. Then you you never develop, but you can't have a very happy life that way, or a very successful life. So like. Uh, in terms of just living uh, a good life. The good life here in England is uh, I encourage Donna Sela. Sense of self-respect. I remember living a hedonistic life when I was in Berkeley uh, where there's this sense of just getting into drugs and into just hedonistic uh, behavior, doing what I felt like, no, no kind of moral limits placed on it, and then losing self-respect because I found I, I could no longer respect myself. I just felt confused and dirty, even though I did have a lot of fun. All that was a lot of fun, actually, but it didn't. But it left me feeling dirty and and uh, no no self-respect. The self-respect was gone. And so this was, uh, you know, I, I've seen this in my own experience uh, when I, because I I couldn't really respect that kind of life myself, even though I could certainly have fun, I could enjoy hedonism and all that. I could, you know, I had, uh, I could uh, certainly see the, you know, where you're just doing what you feel like and not being bound by rules or limitations. It certainly had, uh, you know, one time seemed a very attractive uh, prospect. But the, the karmic result was loss of self-respect 
because I didn't really, when I looked at that life and the people that I was associating with, I didn't respect them either. <laughs> I didn't respect anything that I was doing. Uh, so, that, so that I couldn't respect myself. So then in, in becoming a monk, it, it, it brought me back into a way that I could respect. You know, I could respect the, the, the restraint, the, the sila and that, that I saw in the, in the monks around me. And so when I <coughs> operated in that way myself, then the, I, could, I felt, you know, I could respect myself again because I am now taking responsibility for my life rather than just following uh, impulses, many of which weren't, were rather were unwholesome and not leading toward anything very good. Then I noticed in monastic life how wanting to, you know, respecting it a lot and meeting somebody like Lung Po Cha, who I felt uh, a lot of respect for. But then seeing myself in terms of, of wanting to be perfect according to some ideal and then always feeling that, you know, so far from that perfection because you still, you know, in spite of the ideals of being this, this perfect monk, uh, and the realities of daily life in a in a monastic community that had to deal with my emotional habits, which would come up. So there was jealousy and fear, and and there was anger, resentment. There was worry and anxiety, and there was laziness and boredom, and and uh, on and on like this. So you know, didn't want any of these emotions, was trying to, to create myself into a perfect bhikkhu. But then that wasn't it. That's not what Lumpo Chan was teaching. He was teaching awareness of the way it is. So awareness then is, is, isn't, um, isn't an idea. It's, and, and so you can't try to be aware, you just be aware. It's like, I'm going to try to wake up now. Tell me how to wake up. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Am I awake now? I don't know, am I? <laughs> and then, then, you know, you're, you're always, uh, you're conceiving awakeness or mindfulness as, as something that you've got to get, you've got to develop, and, and you, you hold to a view about it, rather than trusting in uh, just being awake. So being mindful, you don't, you don't try to be mindful, you just be mindful. I'm trying to be mindful, then you, then you, then you usually uh, do something silly, like, like, you know, when you're trying to be mindful while you're walking, you end up stubbing your toe on a, on a rock, or tripping over the steps, or, or eating your food, trying to be mindful, and, and then it all falls onto your robes, and so. <laughs> so, so because you're you're trying to be, you know, you're 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 getting concentrated, maybe 
which is a lack of mindfulness. In that you, you're, you're, when you're concentrated on something, then you're, you're not aware of actually what you, uh, you're not, you're not really aware yet. You're, you're, you're fixed on something else. So, so in this this way, learning to trust in the in this, the, uh, the most simple thing that we can do is pay attention, listen, awake, mindful. How do you do that? <laughs> and then you're aware that that's, a, that's a, the thought again. You know, you want to know how to be mindful because you don't trust in your ability to be mindful. Because at first it you know, emotionally, it doesn't seem like anything. We're not programmed for being arahants. We're not, you know, none of us are programmed culturally to be arahants. So that we're programmed to be, uh, you know, patuchanas, which means uh, uh, people that uh, hold to the self-view and cultural attitudes and views and opinions. So that, uh, you know, when emotionally, it doesn't seem like anything to be mindful. It's got to be more to it than this. It says in the, in the scriptures that you've developed samatha, go into the jhanas, and then you develop the vipassana. You've got to do the satipatthana, the four satipatthanas, and you've got to get the twelve insights, the three aspects of the four noble truths. That sounds pretty complicated, doesn't it? <laughs> so, so then, then if you go into Abhidhamma, it makes it even more complicated, you know. So, you know, the 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 infinite kind of inventory of them, of the psyche, and makes it, you know, the list uh, of sobhanajitas and and kusala dhammas and also they kind of go on endlessly, and you, you pretty soon you're. You know, it's so complicated, you, you think, I can't do it in this lifetime. Too much. Because you're, you're, you're not looking at what actually is happening, are you? You're, you're operating from an opinion or a viewpoint or an idea that you have. It might be a very good idea, too. It's not like a, a judgment against the idea, but it's the attachment, the, the, the holding to ideas that is the problem, not the ideas themselves. So that's why something can be true but not right, right but not true. You know, if you just need bhavana, you don't need dana, sila, you can say true but not right, right but not true. Because, uh, you know, ultimately that's true. But if, but, uh, but if the, but if the, you know, that, that you're not an arahant, then maybe you've got to start with something basic, you know, like, like Donna and Sila. It helps, doesn't it, to, to just, just develop Good quality, worldly qualities, human, good human qualities. Before you, you, 
you uh, move into arahantship. But maybe an arahant is really just a good human being, you know, perfectly sane. And I remember talking to a psychiatrist one time, and then I said, do you have any, what would you com- completely normal, healthy human being, do you have any, any perception of what that would be? of a completely normal, completely healthy human being in the society. They, they don't have anything. They have normal, but they don't even know what normal is. What's normal? <laughs> you know, be normal, and anything that is, you know, and then what is normal what, the way I act? You know, and then I judge everything by myself, you know, because I'm normal, and and anyone who's not like me must not be normal, you know. That <laughs> then, I, then I was saying that the arahant, when you look at, you know, the arahant in Buddhism, you look at it as kind of Superman, you know, kind of uh, so highly attained a super, uh, Superman kind of thing, then it it doesn't resonate much other than some kind of miraculous creature that, that seems so far away from any reality that we're aware of? Or is an arahant a completely normal human being? And I'm not telling you, I'm just reflecting on this. Because an arahant is mindful, aware of time and place, you know, is, uh, can respond appropriately to time and place, to uh, the experiences that that uh, that that he or she is having at the time, and respond in a way that is appropriate and suitable and and uh, compassionate. So then we we see you know the thing our heart is you know when you really examine the, uh, what, what an arahant, you know, even in the scriptures, what that implies, it is uh, someone free from delusions, sees the truth of the way it is, knows the, the uh, is wise, knows the difference between, can discern the condition from the unconditioned, is responsible for how they live, uh, Takes responsibility for what they do, how they what they say. Uh, is uh, can can act in the world is not not living in a in a realm so high that they no longer have any function. They can't walk or do anything. They can't eat food or I mean, like some saints in Christianity are so so saintly they're absolutely useless. They can't. They can't take care of themselves anymore. And, uh, <laughs> and then, is it not like that? <laughs> well, just noticing how to, you know, like like the the. 
in the, in these teachings we have, like Four Noble Truths, like the 22 Indriya I found very useful for reflection. But the 22 faculties in there, because they, they're kind of a list of all the things that we are, you know, in terms of our identities, of being male or female, of being human, and, and on and on like this, so that we we can kind of the the I found really what what is being masculine? What is that in terms of experience yet right now? You know what is uh, being human? Or if if you're if you're female, what is that in terms of right now, rather than according to just assumptions, attitudes, emotional habits that you have uh, that that you operate from? There are your habits. And so there's a way of like self-inquiry where you start examining things that are so close and so obvious that we, we don't bother. You think, well, I'm human. But what do, what do you mean by human? You know, what does that mean? Well, in terms of, of the reality of this moment, of being uh, this, this being now, or being a... Uh, a, a man or a woman. Exploring the Indrias in terms of just noticing like uh, uh, the eye and the object of the eye and what the, co the consciousness that arises between the, the eye and its object. You see, the six ayatanas and so forth. This exploring, examining, looking, watching and and considering these things in terms of actual experience rather than according to trying to fit your experience into some theory that you're holding to. So in to be able to do this, it's trusting in, in this awareness, which isn't, has, isn't, isn't, doesn't, you know, isn't coming from an idea or a theory. It's the reality of just being awake. And then I keep saying you trust in it because <clears throat> when you think about it, you don't trust it anymore. Where, you know, I don't know what he's talking about. It says in the scriptures, and then you go quote scriptures and, and, and all that again because you, 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 you maybe have more, much more faith in, in a scripture that you're reading than in your ability to just pay attention. Because it doesn't seem like anything. So, the, where some one of our problems in in the highly goal-oriented Western society is uh, trying too hard. You know, trying too hard all the time to practice hard to this kind of uh, obsessive, dry drivenness that we we're quite capable of, of uh, doing and apply and using in our monastic life. So we, we, we work hard, don't be lazy, work hard. The, the, the work ethic, you know, these resonate. This is the, the examination. You know, at the end of your life, what am I going to tell you when I'm on my deathbed? 
You're gathered around. Say, what have you learned, Arjun Tomato, from your life as a monk? And so we have one of those reflections. <laughs> and so I've got to learn something, you know. I've been 34 years. This is my 34th wasa, you know, nearly completed. Well, what I have learned is to relax and trust. <laughs> you know, so it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's like, like trusting in, in, in this imminent awareness. And, and, learn, and, uh, and, and really, And from there, seeing how, you know, emotionally I'm programmed not to trust in it, to want to be something to do. What do I do next, you know? Just sit here and just relax? Is that all I'm supposed to do? <laughs> then you, because it doesn't, you know, you want something to do. Notice that, that just that frustration of not having anything to do. And... Uh, and keep keep observing, you know, keep trusting in your in your uh, ability to sustain your attention in this way of not paying attention to something, but being attentive to the present moment. <coughs> so then, this sound of silence is a is something you can trust in because it. When you when you when you begin to notice it, and so your mind is in a state of open attention. You're not trying to make anything out of it as a so, something to to uh, hold to, but to trust in, to to rest in, to so, so that it gives you you uh, uh, you know you find then you you have this uh, sustaining quality to be aware in the present of uh, of whatever's you know physical mental emotional uh things that are happening for you and where all our our all our positions all our ideas all our <coughs> attachments uh, can be reflected in it so then, in in terms of the reality of our life, then just do what we need. What what is part of our lifestyle? You know, it's, it's a you know, the get up in the morning, <laughs> morning chanting, and so forth, and all these things. Are, you know, just like developing that as a as a as a because it's something to do. Something nice to do, and uh, sitting in the temple. You know, got a nice temple here, so you can. Uh, it's coming in the morning to be in the in this temple, very peaceful, very still place in itself. And 
and then from there, you know, the the uh, the life according as it as it flows through the day and so forth. The the the, the things that happen and the the uh, whatever the but the the uh, the morning evening chanting are like they're like points of that we can use for reflection. Something to do, and then like like eating uh, or bindabata, going on the alms round, or eating the meal. Uh, then uh, the whatever work we're involved in, or making robes or whatever. Then uh, rest time, tea time, all these things are part of the flow of life, which we 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 can. Uh, you know, which are which are in the what we're experiencing through the stillness of the mind, rather than just becoming caught up in uh, ha- in the hab- habitual ways that we we usually do those things. So as you <coughs> develop, you know, the monastic form, then it does. It's a rather it's a very not it's a we call it in modern terms a lifestyle. It's a it's a way to live within the in a society that is worthy of praise, worthy of respect, worthy of offerings, and so forth. So that you're you know the being worthy of. Of things, and it's like, like this. Then we, to when you think of yourself, are you really worthy? Then you can get full of doubts again, and you can start thinking, I'm not, I don't think I'm worthy enough, because, because on a, on a personal level, emotional level, we might not, you know, we might not be feeling emotionally all that, you know, great. We might have some pretty petty thoughts or feelings going through our mind. And then we can think, oh, I'm not worthy of the robe and all that. That's not it, is it? That's not, that's not, it's being aware of that feeling. Your refuge is in awareness, not in trying to become somebody who's worthy. It always brings us back to here and now. It's like like self-consciousness was a one that, you know, being uh, the kind of character I have, suffered a lot from self-consciousness and uh, and a timidity. When I was a child, I was very shy, actually. And uh, so that that, uh, a a character tendency towards timidity and, and a feeling that wherever I am, somebody's watching me. So I mean, this is—I find this is a common with people born in the sign of Leo. 
they think they're always on a stage performing in some way. They're supposed to make good actors. I would I would have always wanted to be like an you know, if I'd had the talent be a, an opera singer, be a tenor. I mean, Like singing Italian opera, like that would be something that always was very attractive to me as a professional. And fortunately, I didn't have any talent for it. But uh, and this is something you know some people would not find it attractive. <laughs> but it is you know like a performance, isn't it? Putting yourself up on a platform or a stage. Uh, and and doing something, uh, performing, and so this is a uh, in spite of the timidity, you find a lot of actors and actresses and that uh, are quite shy people, you know, even though they can play these kind of intense roles of on on you know the, on West End theaters and so forth, and and really uh, you know get full on in in kind of emotional. Uh, intensity on a stage, uh, on a personal level, they're quite, many of them are quite timid, shy people. I can understand that. Then, uh, and so being in a, in a position where, where, uh, say, the irony of it is being in a, in, in a teacher's position for this, what, 20, 25 years now. And, and be having be, sit on a seat like this and be a teacher and say wise things and, and instruction, <laughs> all this kind of thing. And so that during these these years, seeing the the self consciousness that that I've had to that has uh, come up in the consciousness during all these during all these many years in this position. And and just being able to ag admit this, to to uh, to notice it, to be able rather than just be caught in it and blinded by it or just suppressing it, just you know kind of performing in front of people and then and then uh, by suppressing it all and then and then kind of you know running back and kind of getting away from it all and falling back into the old. Uh, timid mode and then dreading the next thing, you know, dreading the next moment where you have to perform again. But if you, if you're trusting in this awareness, then the, then these patterns uh, are allowed, you can see them, you're noticing them, not through a critical mind, but through uh, awareness of them, of, of what they really are, they're like this, they are what they are. So then this self-consciousness doesn't have any foothold. It still tries to, you know, come up and say something, but I don't believe it anymore. I don't give it any, I won't let it take hold of me. I don't trust it, I don't believe in it, and I know what it is. So I don't, don't have any interest in it or any, uh, any interest in, in uh following it in any way. Because just the 
recognition of it eventually just becomes so obvious what it is that the ref the refuge is in the awareness, not in the feeling of self-consciousness. But this is, you know, how this is something you keep you ha keep uh, learning from as you go along. And then as you see that it actually, this is the way it is, then you, it gives you more confidence in the practice. Because when you see that practice actually works, that it's not just uh, doing something now, hopefully I'll get some good result in the future, you know. If I keep at it, you know, get something, or get rewarded for it in the future maybe. It's not like that, is it? You can see it, you, you know, you see the results. And and uh, know the result for yourself. So this is where the you, you know you you're, you're encouraged to prove this to yourself. To to the teachings are for investigation, not for just grasping and believing. So then the act of faith that we're asked to perform as Buddhists is in this awareness to trust it. In your, not in my idea of about awareness, but in in your ability to just begin to trust in, in just an openness an attentiveness to this present moment, a listening an awakeness. Nothing special. So it's not like an attainment, you know, that you have to work hard to get it in order, you know, something, you know, that you really have to work hard to get it. It's, it's not a matter of working hard to get it. It's a matter of trusting it, noticing it, or realizing it, recognizing it, and then trusting it. So I'll stop here. This is the this uh, Jan Chandra series not here. So are we? Do we have to sit up till three or what? Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, we can we can practice this, you know. Awareness. Ha, 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 ha.